Testing, one, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon. On the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, RFM goes back to church. The last time I was in an LDS meeting house was eight years ago in 2014. Since that time, I have not darkened the doorway of a ward building, stake center, or temple. I suppose the one exception to that might be the meeting I had with the stake president back in October of 2017 in his office, which I have podcasted about elsewhere, but I don't think that really counts. But in my stake, they hold stake conference the weekend after general conference, and it has been that way as long as I can remember. As most of you know, there are different sessions of state conference, including a Saturday evening session. Now, from time immemorial, the Saturday evening session was the session where adults could go and hopefully hear things that were a little bit more elevated, things a little broader, things a little more insightful than in the typical Sunday school or sacrament meeting. And so for many years when I was active in the church, I made it a point to attend the Saturday evening session of state conference. My recollection is that over time, the Saturday evening session came more and more to resemble the other sessions, and it wasn't anything special, anything especially spiritual. It simply became another uninspired, at least to me, uninspired rehash of the typical church scripts. But nevertheless, I still remember the idea that the Saturday evening session was more special, and I became aware that last Saturday was General Conference when my friend, Ben McKay, who is the second counselor in the state presidency, you may remember him. We had him as a guest on Mormonism live several months ago. And Ben began texting me about how it was he was having trouble finding a person to fill a particular speaking slot in the Saturday evening session. Well, I wasn't sure if he was joking, but I honestly thought that he might tap yours truly to speak in state conference. And I thought that would be a wonderful opportunity. And it certainly wouldn't be subjecting the audience to another talk full of the same old script they've heard a million times before. That much I can guarantee you. But as it turned out, he was just kidding around. He was able to fill all the speaking slots without having to draft me to help out. So Saturday evening, I went ahead and I got dressed anyway to go to church for the Saturday evening session. I knew that Ben McKay would be there, sitting up on the stand, of course. And there might be some other people there who remembered me since this is in the same stake that I began attending 32 years ago back in January of 1990. I posted some pictures and comments about my going to state conference on my Facebook page at Radio Free Mormon, and those posts garnered a lot of attention and a lot of comments. The most frequent comment was asking me to return and report. There were at least three listeners who wrote, return and report, return and report, return and report. So this is me now, returning and reporting. But in addition to those comments, many people seem to be acting as if I were betraying them in some manner by going to a church meeting, that I was somehow abandoning them and going back into full activity or something when actually all it was was a chance for me to get out of the apartment and go somewhere and do something. Okay, now I have to give you a little bit of background. I'm recording this on April 13th, 2022. It has now been one month ago today that I broke up with my fiance. And I've been living by myself since then in an apartment I was lucky to get in the city where I work and in the city where I've worked for 32 years. I am, to put it bluntly, devastated emotionally. I spend most of my time in the past month trying not to cry and succeeding, except when I don't succeed. I do not intend to go into any details about what caused the breakup, 
I think it's safe to say that it simply wasn't working out for either of us. Like the song says, there ain't no good guy, there ain't no bad guy. There's only you and me, and we just disagree. But I do continue to love that woman with all of my heart, and that's what makes it so hard. Last weekend was one of the hardest weekends I've had, and I do not understand why, after a month, the breakup should be even harder than it has been in the preceding weeks. I put off telling my children about the situation for a full week because I still held out hope that maybe we'd be able to work things out, but it looks like that's not going to happen. And now I've put it off for a month to tell you. And I probably would not be telling you at all except for the fact that I think it will make it easier for you to understand why it is that I went to state conference last Saturday night because all of a sudden in the last month, I find I have an abundance of time on my hands and no particular place to go. So even though I did not really want to go, I knew that I needed to get out of that apartment and do something. So that's what I decided to do. I shaved, put on a suit coat and a nice tie with a rainbow design on it, and went to the stake center. Now, the meeting started at 7 o'clock. I got there at about 7.15, which is okay because I think I probably did not miss a lot. Anyway, I got to the parking lot, and that parking lot was just jam-packed with cars. I could not believe there were that many cars there for a Saturday evening session of state conference. I parked, went inside through a back door. I did not go to the chapel door. Instead, I went to the stage door and walked up on the stage. There were chairs that were set up all over the stage. There was nobody sitting in any of the chairs. And the good news is that I saw somebody that I knew. There was only one person who was in the gym. All the chairs in the gym were set up. Nobody was in the chairs in the gym. By the way, that was one of the things that I noticed was that it seemed like there were maybe 100, 150 people in the chapel. But it struck me that it seemed like there were an awful lot of cars in the parking lot to account for the people who were in attendance. So as I say, I went up the stairs to the stage. I peeked around the curtain when I saw a person that I know whose name is Brandon. And he used to be a young men's leader back when my eldest son was in the young men's program. We had even gone on a weekend camp out together. I had gone along as a chaperone. Brandon was there. My son was there. The other young men were there. We had a great time. And Brandon is a really cool guy. He is certainly a faithful member of the church on the one hand. But on the other hand, he was present at state conference He was not wearing a coat like I was wearing a coat. He wasn't wearing a tie like I was wearing a tie. In fact, he had on a flannel type of shirt that was open at the collar. And he was not seated. He was standing because he had his grandbaby in his arms and he's sort of bouncing her around while he's walking in the back of the gym so that his wife could be seated in one of the nice pews up in the chapel area and be paying attention to the speakers. Anyway, I was glad to see a familiar face. I stuck my head around the curtain and I started whispering, Psst, Brandon, Brandon. And he turns up and looks and sees me and says, oh, hi. So I came and sat down on that stage on a chair and later moved to just sitting on the edge of the stage and then later stood next to Brandon. And frankly, we cut up through the rest of the Saturday evening session. And by cut up, I'm using an old expression meaning making funny comments back and forth in whispers that hopefully were not too loud and did not carry too far. I remember sitting on that stage and thinking about the history that I have had in that building and on that stage. Because I used to attend church in that building for about six years from 1990 to 1996. So I was very familiar with the building. Of course, they all look the same anyway. But this specific building, yes, I was very familiar with. And I had been on the stage in a number of productions back in the early 90s. And as I was sitting there, looking at all these empty chairs set up in the gym facing the chapel, I remembered that 
When I had been performing on that stage, all the chairs were there, but they were turned the other way to face the stage. Back in 1991, the church did the show The Pirates of Penzance. I got to play the Pirate King. In 1992, they did South Pacific. I was cast as Emil, not one of my favorite parts and not one of my favorite shows. It probably didn't help that my first wife at the time was carrying on behind the scenes with another cast member that will tend to dim one's opinion of a musical. In 1993, I was separated from my first wife. When the church did The Sound of Music, she played Maria. I was not in that show because we were separated and it hurt too much to be around her. She had moved on from the young man that she was infatuated with back in 1992, largely because he had gone on his mission. But now she had moved on to another individual who was a married man, married in the temple, with children. And that's what was going on at that time. She had left me for him. I'm not going to go into any more detail in that situation or any of the other situations that have occurred in my life that have been both harmful and hurtful. I will just say that, like Macbeth, I have supped full with horrors, or as Hamlet's father, the ghost, said in describing the time he was spending in purgatory, but that I am forbid to tell the secrets of my prison house, I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul, freeze thy young blood, make thy two eyes like stars, start from their spheres, thy knotted and combined locks to part, and each particular hair to stand on end like quills upon the fretful porcupine. But this eternal blazon must not be to ears of flesh and blood. And in saying this, I'm not really thinking I'm that different from other people. Or that others have not trodden paths equally as hard, if not more hard, than mine. I recall the words of a famous rabbi. So famous, I can't remember his name, but I do remember what he said. He said that in every person's life, there are two kinds of people. There are the people that have suffered greatly, and there are the people that you don't really know very well. But going back to the place that I had been in in that stake center, in 1994, they put on The Music Man. I had the great good fortune to be cast as Harold Hill, one of my very favorite parts. And finally, in 1995, I was in the chorus in The Pajama Game. And after that, the stakes stopped putting on these musicals. You need to have somebody who's really into it to be a director, to organize everything. And the people who were responsible for that had moved. And so everything kind of fell apart and it wasn't continued. But I remember, but these are some of the thoughts that crossed my mind as I was sitting on that very stage Saturday night. When I arrived, there was a sister up at the microphone giving a talk. I don't know how long she'd been talking before I arrived, but she kept talking and talking and talking and talking after I got there. And what she was saying was not interesting to me. She had a lot of words to speak, but not really a lot to say. Instead, she was doing a very good job of parroting a variety of Mormon scripts that we hear all the time in church. And it was obvious even to Brandon that she was going long. Because he mentioned that to me. And of course, when an earlier speaker goes long, it impinges on the time of later speakers. They have a general authority who's up there sitting next to my friend Ben McKay. And of course, that's what everybody is really showing up for, is to hear the general authority speak. But finally, the sister was done with her talk. She sat down to the general sound of sighs of relief from the audience. The mission president got up and spoke to the audience. And one of the first things he said was, well, I don't have to tell you that the spirit is here tonight. Well, I don't know if the mission president was really feeling the spirit, but I do know that it is a commonplace for people in state conference or general conference or other church meetings to get up and say that the spirit is here tonight. 
or today as the case may be. And I leaned over to Brandon and whispered, that's group hypnosis 101. And he laughed, but I don't think he understood what I was getting at, so I explained that when a leader says the spirit's present, the audience believes that the spirit is present because a leader is saying it, and then they have two options. Either they feel the spirit or they don't feel the spirit. And we all know in the LDS church that if somebody says the spirit's present and you feel it, that means that you are righteous. You are in tune with the spirit. You are following the commandments. But if the spirit is present and you don't feel the spirit, that means you are not righteous. You are not in tune with the Holy Ghost. You are not keeping the commandments with the result that regardless of what the audience members actually feel, they're all going to agree that they feel the spirit. Finally, it was time for the general authority to speak. And that was, of course, the moment that everybody had been waiting for. Well, I've given a lot of talks myself. I've heard a lot of people give talks. I can tell the difference when a person has prepared for their talk and when a person is just winging it. Well, this general authority was just winging it and not doing a particularly good job of it either. There is sometimes this idea in the church that we simply get up in front of a microphone to address a crowd We don't prepare beforehand, and the Holy Ghost will put in our mouths the words that we should say. There are even scriptures to that effect. And I don't know if that's what this general authority was thinking when he got up there, but the Spirit was not doing its part in putting the words into his mouth. Once again, an evidence that the Spirit was not present. And I remember thinking, here are 100 or 150 people who have given up their Saturday evening to go to church to listen to the speakers, and especially the final speaker, the general authority. And my feeling was that the general authority didn't even respect that enough to prepare something to say. And it seemed to me a little bit of a disrespectful attitude on the part of this particular GA for the members of the church. I remember back during the four years when I taught gospel doctrine class from 2006 to 2010, I would spend 8 to 10 hours a week preparing my lessons for Sunday school. And I had two main priorities. The first priority was that anybody who comes to my Sunday school is going to learn something new. They're not just going to hear the same old script over and over and over again. And the second goal I had was that members of the church basically are required. If you're going to go to church, you got to go to Sunday school. If you're an adult member, usually you're going to go to gospel doctrine class. In some ways, it's kind of a captive audience. And I tried to make it my highest goal that if these people were going to have to be present in my class, that I would work hard to make it worth it for them, that it would not be wasted time, that I would respect them enough to prepare every week for eight to 10 hours. And so when I'm listening to this general authority address the crowd who's there on a Saturday night and obviously not having prepared anything, I felt that in some way he was being disrespectful to the audience. Just my opinion. On a broader scope, in general conference, leaders of the church get to speak to millions of Latter-day Saints. And they do prepare to a greater or lesser degree. But by and large, the preparations they make are simply to say the same old thing that have been said a hundred or a thousand times before. Their strategy seems to be to never say anything new or interesting. And by and large, they succeed in their task. I remember in the comments on my Facebook page, somebody asked me what I learned from State Conference. And my response was that I learned why I hadn't been back to church in eight years. Nothing had changed. It was just the same old monotonous subjects delivered in the same old monotonous manner. But finally, the closing hymn was sung. The closing prayer was said. I made my way up to the front. I saw Ben McKay. 
said hello to him. He insisted on getting a group picture of himself and Brandon and me up on the podium behind the microphone. And I posted that picture as well to my Facebook page. And after that was over, I had to go back to my lonely apartment. The next day, Sunday, I drove down to Seattle to meet up with a couple of friends. And they were a couple of friends who had actually been guests on the Mormonism Live show about a month ago. If you listen to that show, it's the one that's titled Out of Africa, and we had Susie Benson on the show, and also another individual who did not want his name known or his face shown, but who simply went by the name of Black Exmo. And Black Exmo was in town, and I drove down, and I hung out for a couple of hours with Susie and Black Exmo. I told them about what was going on in my life with the breakup. They asked when it had happened. I told them March 13th. And I remember they said, are you kidding me? You mean that happened right before we were on your show the following Wednesday? How on earth did you do that show? And I told them that doing a show was the last thing I wanted to do that night. But as corny as it may sound, the show must go on. Like the words from the Irving Berlin song in Annie Get Your Gun, you get word before the show is started that your favorite uncle died at dawn. Top of that, your ma and pa have parted. You're brokenhearted, but you go on. And so I did. And nobody knew the difference. Nobody had any idea that I was heartbroken and doing my very best to appear upbeat and normal. Well, as normal as I can be. I will let you in on a little secret, which is that this is not the first time I've had to go on the Mormonism Live show when I have been feeling absolutely devastated. Last June, that would be June of 2021, I had a dear friend who was a lawyer who was in the hospital. He was having some medical difficulties. I talked with him on the phone at the hospital. He sounded fine. He sounded upbeat. It did sound like it was going to take a number of months for him to get back in the saddle again. And he was making arrangements to have other people cover his cases for him in the meantime. And then several days later, I got a call from another attorney telling me that my friend, our friend, was no longer in the hospital. He was at his house, but he was there on hospice. Things had gone very south, very suddenly. And on that Wednesday afternoon, we both met over at his house, and we went inside to visit, and our friend, Glenn, was lying in a hospital bed in the middle of his living room, being cared for by a lady who was a friend of his, but he was completely unresponsive. His eyes were glazed, his breathing was labored, And I talked to him with the hope that he could hear me, but I had no way of knowing whether he could hear me. It was obvious that his time was short, and indeed he passed away a couple of days later. But that Wednesday in June, when we were done visiting, we left his house. I was shocked. I was saddened. I could not imagine that I had to go on with a live show that night. But I did, and I pulled it off. The show must go on. So the postscript to my visit to church, my first visit to church in eight years, is that, as I said, what I learned primarily was why it was that I haven't been to church for eight years. Nothing has changed. It's the same O, same O. And I expect that unless I am asked to speak, it will be at least another eight years before I go back to church. So you don't need to worry about me. I have not abandoned you. I have not jumped ship. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I have not decided to go back to church, and become active once again in Mormonism. Instead, I will focus my energies on being super active as Radio Free Mormon, bringing you podcast after podcast of what I hope will be interesting information, and I will work hard to make sure 
that that happens. I want to thank you for your support, your kindness, your generosity, and your goodness. I hope you will indulge me in closing out today's podcast with a song that came out in 1972. That was the year I spent the worst summer of my childhood. My parents were split up. I was living with my mom and one of my brothers in a little rental house in Rockport, Texas. I didn't know anybody there. I had no friends and I felt very, very alone. I would sleep all day and then stay up all night listening to the top 40 songs from a radio station in Corpus Christi. I remember this song was at the top of the charts back in the summer of 1972. It resonated with me then and it resonates with me again today. I think you'll understand why. Well, that's about all for tonight. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air. I'll say goodbye to love. No one ever cared if I should live or die. Time and time again, the chance for love has passed me by. And all I know of love is how to live without it. I just can't seem to find it. So Say goodbye to love There are no tomorrows For this heart of mine Surely time will lose These bitter memories And I'll find that there is Someone to believe in And to live for Something I could live for All the years of useless search Say goodbye